Let's read that verse together one more time. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Dear Lord, I do pray now that you add your blessing upon the reading of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me. Oh, God, help me. I'm standing in need of your help, your grace, to preach your word this morning. And I pray, Lord, that what is preached will fall on good ground and bear fruit for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll give you thanks and praise for how you use the message this morning in people's hearts. For I pray in Christ's name and for His sake and His glory. Amen. You may be seated. Consider Him that can endure such contradictions of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Dr. Peter Ruckman, who I have all the respect in the world for, calls Hebrews 12.3 the greatest verse in the Bible. The verse we just read. Now, I know that many would beg to differ with him. Many would say, well, John 3.16 is the greatest verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, that certainly is a great verse, is it not? Amen. It tells a man that God loves him, and it tells him that how to be saved. Uh, but John 3.16 does not have everything in it that Hebrews 12.3 has. Dr. Ruckman claims that Hebrews 12.3 not only tells you how to get saved, but also how to live after you get saved. Now, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't know if Hebrews 12.3 is the greatest verse in the Bible. I certainly would not argue with Dr. Ruckman about it. You can bank on that. However, I do believe that Hebrews 12.3 contains the greatest and only contradiction in the Bible. Now, there are those that will say there are many contradictions in the Bible. How many have ever heard someone say to you that there are contradictions in the Bible? Sure you have. Uh, when somebody says that to me, what I normally do is hand the Bible and say, show me one. And so far, now it might happen today, but so far, no one has been able to show me one real, true contradiction in the Bible. Uh, usually the contradiction is in the mind of the person and not really in the Bible. The contradiction is in their understanding of the Bible, not the Bible itself. So, when they fail to show me a contradiction, I'll ask them, I'll say, that when they, when they fumble around and say, well, I know they're in there, but I just don't know where they're at. And I'll say, well, do you mind if I take the Bible and show you the greatest contradiction in the Bible? And they'll, without fail, they'll say, yeah, I'd like to see it. Because they've already said there's contradictions in the Bible, but they can't find it. They're all more than willing for you to show them where it is. So I take him to Hebrews 12.3. For consider him that endured such... What's the word? 
contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be worried and faint in your mind. And I will use that verse as a springboard to try to lead that man to Christ. Because as Dr. Ruckman says, that verse not only tells you how to save, but how to live after you're saved. Now, I see three things in this verse that certainly make a great verse. I don't know that it's the greatest verse, but it is certainly a great verse of Scripture that every one of us ought to commit to memory. And let me show you what I see in this verse. First of all, number one, I see the caution to the saint. I see a caution to the saint. That is, there is a danger presented here. There is a problem. There is some trouble that the writer of Hebrews presents here. And the danger is becoming weary and faint in your mind. That is the caution. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. We need to guard against that. Because the Bible says in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25 that Satan seeks to, quote, wear out the saints, end of quote. That's his tactic. His tactic is to grind you down until you're weary and faint in your mind and you're ready to quit. That, that's one of Satan's most effective tactics as I've seen Christians down through the years that I've been saved. As a matter of fact, I don't have to look back very far. I don't have to look around too hard because I see Christians right here at Bible Baptist Church who are literally being worn out by Satan. They can't come on Sunday night. They can't come on Wednesday night. They can't have visitation because they're too pooped out. They're too tired, too exhausted. They're too weary. I mean, 50 years ago, churches used to have three-week revival meetings. They'd go three weeks back in the 40s and even into the 50s. But then something changed. As you go a little bit farther in the 1950s and into the 60s, where the, you didn't see very many three-week revivals, they went to one-week revivals. And nowadays, you see very few churches even having one-week revivals. Now they're three-day meetings. And you can hardly get Christians to come to them. I mean, you have a three-day mission conference, just three days, and they can't stick it out for three days straight. They're wore out. They, they're, they're tired. They're exhausted. Uh, they're faint in their minds. So I see a definite caution, a definite problem here of people, Christians, that need to heed lest they be wearied and faint in their minds. How, what, how does Satan wear out the saints? Basically, I see there's many ways he does it, but let me get some of the, the, his favorite ways. To wear out a saint. Because I know this is what he does in, in, to me. And I'm the preacher. So I'm sure that you've had to contend with some of these things as well. First of all, number one, he tries to wear the saints out through fleshy service. Serving God in the power and the energy of the flesh will wear you out. The flesh wears out. That's our problem. We're going in the energy of the flesh instead of the energy of the Spirit. Did not Jesus say that the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is what? 
It's weak. The flesh is weak. It'll wear out. It'll wear out. It'll wear out. The work of God must be done in the power of God. Nothing will wear you out any quicker than trying to serve God without praying, without yielding, without keep your focus on Him and without setting your affections on things above instead of on things on the earth. I mean, you've got to pray for the Holy Spirit to sustain you in His life. And it has to come through prayer. Or otherwise, you're going to be spinning your wheels, you're going to be working in the energy of the flesh, and you're going to be wearied and faint in your minds. I mean, if you want to wear out and become critical and... and, and, and be a first-class whiner and riper than just serve the Lord in the flesh and watch it happen. You'll become critical. You'll become a griper. You'll become a whiner every single time. It's the care and maintenance in the Christian life. It's the care and maintenance, care and maintenance, care and maintenance, care and maintenance. I mean, the more junk you have, the more care and maintenance it requires. Entropy. That's a law. Entropy sets in and things are always falling apart. I mean, there's never been a time when there's been more worn out, tired, exhausted people because of all their labor-saving and time-saving devices. Amen. you got a car. That car requires care and maintenance, care and maintenance, care and maintenance. I mean, it needs to be washed, and then it needs to have the oil changed, and then it needs new wiper blades, and then it needs new tires, then it needs to be a two-up, then it's a brake job, then it needs another oil change, and then it needs a new air filter, and then it needs a new battery, and then it needs to get washed again, and then it needs another oil change, and on and on, and it'll wear you out! You can think of your house. That house needs hair and maintenance. Needs care and maintenance. The carpet needs vacuuming. The windows need to be washed. The garbage needs to be taken out. The floors need to be mopped. The laundry needs to be done. The clothes need to be ironed. The meals need to be prepared. The sinks to be unclogged. Dishes need to be washed. The walls need to be painted. The lawn needs to be mowed over and over and over and over again. Never ending. Care and maintenance. Care and maintenance. Care and maintenance. Amen. And I will tell you, it'll wear you out. It'll wear you out. And I see Christians, I see them in their life, I see them with all this junk and all this stuff that they have, and it's just wearing them down. And Satan is just applauding, saying, Amen, buy that, buy that, and yeah, buy that. That'll just keep you more occupied here. And get that thing over there. And get your life involved in this over here. Just as long as you just keep going in the flesh and forget about praying, forget about healing to the Lord, forget about keeping your eyes on Jesus, and just keep on going in the energy of the flesh, and you'll get wore out real quick. Fleshy service. Fleshy service. Fleshy service. I see another tactic the devil uses to wear the saints out, and that's through temptations. Brother, we are tempted all the time. 24-7 we face temptations. From every side. I mean... Going down the highway, you can't walk, you can't go down the highway hardly uh, half a mile without getting tempted. Going down the highway, reading a magazine, watching television, walking down the street, or even using your computer, the temptations keep coming up and coming up and coming up. I preached a few weeks ago on 
why Christians should live like the devil. And one of the ways that you can live like the devil is the devil just never quits. He keeps coming. He keeps coming. He keeps tempting. He keeps throwing. He doesn't give up. You, you get the victory over one temptation, he'll throw another one at you. You get the victory over that temptation, another one. It's like he did with Jesus out in the wilderness. He didn't quit after one temptation, didn't quit after two temptations, didn't quit after three temptations. Because after that third temptation, the Bible says that the devil departed him from him for a season. And the devil was right back and right back. And he'll do it with Christ. He'll do it with any one of us. Amen. He keeps the pressure on and he keeps the pressure on. He keeps throwing this at you and throwing that at you. And where's you out? Can I get a witness there? It was, he, he, he just keeps coming at you just like Delilah came at Samson. She wanted to know the secret to Samson's strength. And he wouldn't tell her. And he wouldn't tell her. Every time she tried to get it out of him, she, he'd give her some line. And he just would never be up front with her and tell her the secret. And the Bible says... She pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death. And he gave in and told her the secret. She wore him down. Amen? He just got tired of fighting it. And that's the way the devil operates. He'll just keep coming at you. You're just tired of fighting it. There's a caution to the saints here, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. And give up. Throw in the towel. I mean, you get saved. And it seems like the devil pours it on and on and on more after you get saved than before you were saved. Temptation after temptation until you finally get wore out fighting against it and you give up and throw in the towel. Boy, that song, Brother Hake, that song, I don't even know if it's in our hymn book. Boy, we need to sing it. That song, Farther Along. Tempted and I we're off to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. Why it should be thus all the day long. Tempted and tried. Off made to wonder. Why, Lord? Why the temptations keep coming and keep coming and keep coming? Because it's the devil. He's trying to wear you down. He's trying to push you down. He's trying to get you to fold up shop and give up and quit. Amen. He'll use fleshy service. If that doesn't work, he'll keep throwing temptations at you. And if that doesn't work, he has another tactic. And that's through persecution. He'll wear you out through persecution. I'll tell you why some Christians give up. Why some Christians throw in the towel? Because they can't take the heat. They get a few doors slammed in their face. And you know what they do? They don't go out on visitation anymore. They quit going on visitation. They get cussed out sometime because they tried to witness to somebody. And they get cussed out. And they just don't witness no more. I don't want any of that. They'll pass out and try to pass out a few tracks every now and then, and they'll get somebody cuss them out or throw the tracks away, spin their face, and they'll quit doing that. Well, it takes very little to get Christians to quit nowadays. And Satan will put it on. He'll put it on, and he'll put it on you until you quit. I mean, you look at you look at Job. Satan threw everything but the kitchen sink at Job. You know what the word Job means, J-O-B? You know what it means? It means one persecuted. And there's nobody. You hear me. There's nobody in the Bible outside of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself that was persecuted more than, the, than Job. Do you know anybody that was persecuted more than Job outside of Jesus? 
I mean, he lost everything. Lost his house. Lost his prosperity. Lost possessions. Lost his children. Lost everything he had, and the wife that he had turned against him. I don't know of anybody that's more persecuted than Job. No one God called him one persecuted. Satan kept coming at him and cut him at him. And, and, and Job is just taking it left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right, until finally, finally he just grows weary and faint in his mind. And you know what he does? He begins to complain and gripe. He never curses God. But boy, he does some griping. If you haven't read the book of Job, you ought to read it. You'll see him gripe. You'll see him complain. You know why he's complaining? You know why he's griping? Because he wore out. He's tired of fighting it. We haven't been persecuted much in this country. Amen. I don't think Christians in this really suffered a lot of persecution. Oh, we, we might get a little here and there. I mean, I've, I've had a little bit. Just a, just a smidgen. I remember one time we were down here by the foot ferry in uh, uh, downtown Port Orchard where the uh, library is, and, and we we're, were having some street preaching, and, and we had a bunch of our guys there, and uh, while one guy would get up and preach, the rest of us would stand by and pass out tracts to people who would walk by, and, and uh, one, one of our men was there preaching, and, and uh, I was there, and several other guys was there, and we were passing out tracts. And there was a taxi cab guy. He was sitting there in the parking lot waiting for passengers off the foot ferry that would get in his cab so he could take them wherever they wanted. And we were standing between the foot ferry and his cab. Which, when people would see us up there preaching and passing out tracks, they would go the other way and, uh, and they wouldn't go by his cab. And I could see him sitting in there just seething and getting madder and madder by the minute. And finally he got... Out of it, he, he stuck his head out of his cab and he says, why don't you guys just go someplace else? Well, because the people are here. And we're trying to, and we're trying to uh, get them saved. And, uh, and he said, well, why don't you just take off? You're, you're, you're just bad for business. And I looked at him and I said, sir, all you need is Jesus. And boy, he got ready, opened that cab car door and he came charging. I mean, fist right up, ready to put one. I mean, he was he was ready to give me some orthodontal work real quick. And hallelujah for a guy, uh, uh, Daniel Faith. He must have weighed three hundred pounds and about six foot five. If you ever want somebody on your side, he's the guy you'd want on your side. And the cab driver just comes storming up to me, and he got within maybe five feet of me, and old damn face, he right, got right, right in between us, and he says, you're not touching my preacher. I said, hallelujah. <laughs> but I sincerely believe if Daniel wasn't there, I would have I I taken one on the chin for Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. I was, I was first saved. Worked at Dicar Tool Company in Southfield, Michigan, and uh, and I'd been saved for maybe three or four months, and and I'm running my the, my machine as a surface tool grinder, carbide cutting tools, and I'm running my machine, 
Well, the shop wasn't really a loud shop, you know. It was just a, you know, machines weren't very loud. And so anyway, I'm, I'm there running my machine singing gospel songs, singing some Christian hymns and so forth. And, and uh, the, the machine that was right in front of me, it's only about maybe four feet away, the guy that ran that machine, his name was J.C. Story. And uh, he's a guy from Tennessee and just as profane as be. And I'm, I'm there singing, you know, just minding my own business. And finally he comes back to me and he says, Hughes, if you don't shut up that singing, I'm going to shut you up. And I says, well, you know, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And, and uh, I, I'm just going to keep singing. And, and he went back to his machine. I just kept on singing. And he got madder and madder. And he and I t- says, I'm going to give you one more chance. You shut up. Or I'm going to take you up to that time clock there. And I'm going to pull your card, and I'm going to punch your card out. Then I'm going to take you outside and punch you out. Preach, what would you do? I kept on singing. I just kept on singing, pray the Lord, and amen. And you know what he did? After about five minutes, he came back. He grabbed me, and he's a big guy, and I'm not very big. He grabbed me by the nap of the collar, and he dragged me from my machine, dragged me down the aisleway towards the time clock. And he pulled my time card, and he was ready to punch that clock. And Jimmy Stoglin, the, 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 the foreman, the, the supervisor, he came up and said, Hey, you're going to do anything, take after work. After work. Now get back to your machines. Thank you. So I went back to my machine, and I'm thinking, Okay, let's see. When's work out? <laughs> And, and I, we had a Coke machine in the back. And so I went up, and I thought that, that verse came to my mind. If, if your enemy hunger, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. So I went back to the Coke machine. I got Coke. It was a hot day. And I walked up to J.C., and he had his, he's at his machine there, and he had his little table with his tools on it. And I put that Coke uh, right there on that table, you know, and I said, Here, Jay, have a Coke on the Lord. And walk away. That Coke sat there all night. He didn't even touch that thing. But you know what? He didn't touch me either. After work, he got in his car, went home. I went in my car and got home. But you know what? After that, and my wife can testify, she's been in J.C.'s house. We went out to his farm. Uh, I helped him plow his field one day. He had a a big five-acre parcel of ground back there and a case tractor. An old case tractor. He called it Mighty Case. And, uh, uh, and uh, I went out there and plowed his field, all five acres on that, on that case tractor. Uh, and he changed the oil in my car. All I'm saying is, is you can't let persecution get you down. You just, gotta, you just can't be weary and faint in your mind. If you get a door slammed in your face, go to the next door. Amen, amen, amen. If they won't receive you in one house, shake the dust off the bottom of your feet and go to the next one. That's what God said, isn't it? Heard about one student, Bible student down in Pensacola. This is what he did. He went into this jute joint and the place was packed. And he had his Bible under his arm. And he walked up to the biggest guy in the place, big bruiser guy. And he looked at the guy and he said, do you think Christians are sissies? And the guy says, yeah, I do. 
And he said, well, I'm a Christian and I ain't no sissy. And I'll prove it to you. He says, all right, prove it to me. I said, he said, okay. He said, if you have enough gut to go to that jukebox over there and pull it away from the wall and unplug it, I'll have enough guts to stand on this table and preach for ten minutes. The guy says, you're on. And he walked over that jukebox. He slides the thing away from the wall, unplugs it. Boy, the music stops. People are wondering what's going on. This young man gets up on the table and starts preaching. People don't know what's happening. He's up there preaching and finding an old drunk. He was going to go over there and try to shut this boy up after about two minutes. Went up trying to shut him up. And this big old guy that pulled the jukebox off and shut the thing down, he walked up and he says, wait a minute, let him finish. Amen. Now, hey, young people, you want a thrill? You don't have to have drugs to get thrill. Why don't you do what that guy did? That'll give you a bigger thrill than any drugs you take. Amen, amen, amen. Caution to the saint. Caution to the, you better you better take heed to what he's saying here. Lest you become wearied and faint in your minds. That's the problem. That's that's the danger in the Christian life. The danger of becoming weary and faint in your minds, getting worn down and worn down and tired out and exhausted to where you can't do anything for God. You can't attend church. You can't serve God. You can't sing because you're too pooped out. But I'm glad the verse, there's more to that verse than just that. There's more to it than just a warning. He gives you a solution. That'll keep you from getting weary and faint in your mind. Amen? Second thing I see is the consideration of the Savior. The consideration of the Savior. I want you to underline those first three words. For consider Him. Who's the Him? Who you've been talking about in the first two verses? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. Consider Him. Now, that's the solution. And by the way, that's the solution for both the saved and the lost. It's the solution for the lost man. No lost man ever seriously considered Christ for two hours without coming under the sense of conviction. I challenge any lost man to seriously consider Christ and who He is and what He did just for two hours. And if you don't sense any conviction come into your life, if you'll, if you'll consider Him honestly and from an open heart, it won't happen. God's going God's to convict you. The problem is people don't want to consider Christ. Oh, they'll consider religion. They'll consider the differences in denominations. They'll even consider the Bible a little bit to try to find errors in it. But they won't sit down and honestly, with an open heart, consider Jesus and what He's done and who He is. Because they know if they considered Him, that they're liable to trust Him. Nobody trusts Jesus Christ without first considering Him. Amen. If I was going to show him, if, I, if, if a guy said, told me, well, there's contradictions in the Bible, and I said, okay, well, show me one, and he couldn't show me one, and then I said, well, let me show you one. 
and take him over here to Hebrews 11, verse 3, and I'd say, consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be worried and faint in your mind. I'd ask myself, have you really ever seriously considered Jesus Christ? What have you considered about him? In your consideration of him, what have, what, what have, what have, what have you decided? I'd start using that to try to show that man how to get saved and who Jesus really is. Amen. It's solution both for the saved and the lost. Solution for the saved because that right there, considering Christ who endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, that is the cure for a faint heart. That's the cure for spiritual fatigue. That's the cure for soul weariness, getting weary and faint in your minds. Consider Him. What you really need to do is get your mind off of yourself and on to Him. We're, our problem is we're considering ourselves and our problem and our work schedule and our, our illness and our difficulties and our bad marriage and our wayward kids and we're considering all this and it wears us out. It wears us out and wears us out. Instead of considering all those things about you, why don't you start considering Him and what He's done for you? And boy, then you're going to see, you'll find the strength coming back to your feeble knees. And then you'll find your weary hands being lifted up. And you'll find new strength to go on for the Lord instead of bitten and being worn out. Amen. You need to consider who He is. Who is this one you're considering? We're talking about God in the flesh. We're talking about the one who created you. We're talking about the one who saved you. That's who you need to be considering. Not your boss. Not your husband. Not your wife. Consider him. Lest ye wearied and faint in your minds. You consider what he endured. That, that contradiction of sinners. Consider what he endured. He, could, he endured Hunger. He endured thirst. He endured weariness. He endured pain. Unbelagging. He endured false accusations. He endured misunderstanding. He endured betrayal. And he didn't deserve any of it. All those things he endured, he didn't deserve any of it. That's why it's called a tradition of sinners. The word, the word there, consider, look that word up in the dictionary. The word consider means to compare. To reckon, to count up, to weigh. To compare, to reckon, to count up, and to weigh. So what, when we consider Him, what we're doing is we are to consider Jesus Christ and His sufferings and compare and weigh them against our sufferings. Say, so, oh, I'm suffering here, and I'm suffering here, and I'm suffering there. Okay, that's one side of the balance. This is all your suffering right here. Now, let's consider Him and weigh His sufferings against your sufferings. And let's see how we come out. Oh, I don't want to do that, because then I'll find out that really my problems aren't that bad. I won't have anything to whine about or gripe about or complain about. I won't have any excuse for quitting. Consider Him, not yourself. If you're weary... Did Jesus get weary? Come on, church. Did he get weary? If you're tempted, did he get tempted? If you're homeless, was he homeless? 
Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, and a man hath not where to lay his head. He's homeless. These people say, well, I'm homeless. So is Jesus. You're not going to be one up on him. You've been betrayed? Betrayed by a friend? Betrayed by a wife? Betrayed by a husband? Betrayed by your children? Have you been betrayed? Was Jesus betrayed? Have you been hated? Has Jesus been hated? Have you been forsaken and left alone? Was Jesus forsaken and left alone? Were you here when I preached that sermon? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he was left alone on the cross? Consider him, lest you be wearied and faint in your mind. Dwelling on the trials that you are going through. Perk up and listen, okay? I'm trying to help you. Dwelling on your trials and your difficulties and your afflictions and your adversities and all your situations that you're that wearing you down, considering dwelling on those things is only going to wear you down more. But when you start considering what he endured for you, that's going to lift your spirits. And that's going to give you fiber in your soul to keep on keeping on for him. Because he kept on keeping on for you. He never threw in the towel for you. He never quit for you. Consider what he heard. Consider how he endured it. How did, how did he... Well, first of all, he, could, he, 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 he did it patiently. Committed himself unto him who judges righteously. That's how he did it. He endured those trials patiently. Committing himself unto him. Who judges righteously. That's what you need to do. You need to take those things that's coming at you patiently, with patience, and just commit yourself unto Him who knows all things and, and, and loves you more than anything in all the world, and commit yourself to Him who judges righteously, and He'll take care of it. Prayed for those that abused Him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's how He did it. We need to pray. Lord, you know what's going on. Lord, I'm not harboring any grudges against anybody. He refused to avenge himself when he, when he easily could have. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have called legions of angels to set him free. But he didn't. That's a contradiction of sinners. Why did he endure it? If Christ didn't have to go through all he went through, if Christ didn't have to endure that contradictions of sinners against himself, why did he do it? He did it because he loved you. And he wanted to make a way for you to be with him forever. And that was the only way he could do it, by enduring that contradiction of sinners against himself, so you could be with him forever. Amen. That's how much he wants you. That's why he did it. There's no other explanation. Can you give me another explanation other than he loves you? I see a caution to the saint about getting weary and faint in your mind. I see a consideration of the Savior who's going to give you strength to stay in the battle and not get weary and faint in your mind. And thirdly, I see this contradiction of sinners. This contradiction says, oh, the word I looked up in preparing this message. And by the way, this message this morning that I'm preaching to you 
I've already preached it to, to myself several times. This is what I needed. Because I, I sensed that I was becoming weary and faint in my mind because of things that just keep coming one way and the other and the other. And God brought me to this verse. Word contradiction. You get a concordance. You'll only find that word two times in your Bible. Only twice. And both times are in Hebrews. One time in Hebrews chapter 7. And one time in Hebrews chapter 12. The word contradiction, here's what it means. It comes from a Greek word, antologia, which is, you can look at the word and see how it divides anti and logia, which is where we get our word logic, anti, against. So contradiction simply means against logic, something that goes against logic, something that goes counter to a thing. An act or a manner contrary to something. So when we talk about a contradiction of sinners against himself, we're talking about something that was contradictory to the Lord that happened to him. And how he responded to that. See, the most contradictory thing that ever happened on this earth. We're talking about the greatest contradiction in the Bible. The most contradictory thing that ever happened on this earth was the way Jesus responded to the wicked treatment that he received while he was here. Second only to that was the way that sinners treated him in view of how they should have treated him. That's a contradiction. Amen. I mean, you and I, we, we have to put up with the junk of this life. Don't we? We, we, we have to put up with all this garbage that we face. We, but Jesus never had it. We have to, but he didn't have to. If I have to put up with sinful treatment, that's one thing. But for Jesus to endure sinful treatment, that's a contradiction against himself. I mean, he could have spoke one word and turned this earth into cosmic dust and everybody on it. But he didn't. That's a contradiction, amen. The sun that he created smote him. The rain chilled him. He got his feet dirty with the dust that he created. He was cursed. He was smitten. He was whipped. And for what? He was smitten and beaten and cursed. For what? For you and me. That's what. But that's a contradiction. The holy one suffering for unholy ones. That's a contradiction. That goes contrary to reason. Amen. What a contradiction for a sinner to spit in the face of his Creator. Is it not? Who is this that shoves vinegar in the face 
of His Creator, when that Creator created the fountains and the lakes and the oceans and the seas and the rivers and the ponds and the creeks, who is this that would shove a sponge full of vinegar in His mouth? That's a contradiction. He was crucified on a cross made out of a tree that He created. That's a contradiction. It's a contradiction of sinners against Himself. Amen. He took the shameful treatment when He didn't have to take it. He accepted it all. He didn't have to. Amen? He didn't have to be on that cross. That's a contradiction of sinners against Himself. He took it all. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. Who, when He was reviled, reviled not again. When He suffered, threatened not. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise a blessing. Do you hear the word? Contrarywise a blessing. Went contrary. He should. Those people didn't deserve a blessing. They deserved judgment. But instead of getting judgment, they got a blessing. Amen. That's a contradiction if I've heard one. But you know what? Jesus is giving us an example that we should follow in His steps. That is, everyone here this morning, your life ought to be a contradiction to sinners. The way you live, the way you respond to, to, to their treatment of you, the way that that, uh, uh, that, that, that the world comes against you, the way that the devil comes against you, the way of the wear and tear and care and maintenance and all this stuff that weighs heavy on you, that is an example that we ought to contradict those things ourselves. Hear what Jesus said. Jesus said, You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. Isn't that the way the world acts? Love your love your neighbor but hate your enemy? That's, that's the way of the world. Jesus was recognizing that. He said, you have heard it that thou shalt love thy neighbor and, and hate thy enemy. But now here comes the contradiction. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. See the contradiction there? He's saying you, your life ought to be a contradiction to those out in the world. Just like my life has been a contradiction. And brother, his life is, was a contradiction. Everything Jesus did was contrary to human nature. Paul echoed the same thing when he said, Bless that persecute you. Bless and curse not. Recompense to no man evil for evil. If thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Contradiction after contradiction after contradiction over and over and over again. And that's how our lives need to be patterned. It's opposite than the way the world would treat you. For consider Him. That's the solution. You get weary. You get tired. You get exhausted. You get wore out. You can hardly stand up. There sits your Bible. There sits your prayer list. It's time to go to church. 
I'm wore out. What are you supposed to do? Consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself. Lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Our problem is we're just not considering Him. We're considering our problems. We're considering poor me and all the stuff that I have on my plate and, and my, my, my sickness here and my illness here and my sore back or, or my, my husband's not doesn't want to go to church with me or my wife isn't with me or my kids are rebelling against me. And we just look at all of our situations and it just wears us out. I, I, just, I just can't do it. Jesus faced it all too. He did. And that's why we need to consider Him. That's why I need to consider Him. I can't speak for all of you, but I know as for me, I'm going to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I'm going to consider Him so I don't get weary and faint in my mind. I want you to look at that verse one more time, but I want to read the next verse too. Verse 3 and 4. For consider Him that endured. He endured. He endured. I said He endured. Didn't say He enjoyed. There's some things in the Christian life that you aren't going to enjoy. You're just going to have to endure it. The time will come when men shall not endure sound doctrine. You need sound doctrine. You might not like it. You might rather have some peppy sermon of exhortation and just laugh and fun and have a good time where the preacher exhorts you and cheers you on. But sometimes you need sound doctrine. <coughs> but you've got to endure those. There's some things in the Christian life you just got to endure. They're good for you. Amen? There's some vegetables I don't like. But if I'm on my plate, I eat them. Not because I like them. I, I, somebody invites me to your house, I'll eat what you put in front of me. I'm just careful about whose house I go to eat at. Because I know if you have a reputation of serving dog, I will not be having dinner at your house. You go to China, you better have a good guide that leads you to the right places to eat. That's why I go with Lyle Tremblay. Amen. You put something in front of my plate, if I don't necessarily like it, I'm going to eat it. Because, number one, I'm a guest in your house and you're showing me hospitality. And number two, it builds my character. See, doing something you don't like builds your character. Amen, amen, amen. That's what Bob Jones says. Bob Jones, he used to say, I hate peas. But when I go through the cafeteria and there's a bowl of peas there, although I hate them, I'll pick them up and put them on my tray anyway. 
Because it's good for me. It builds my character. Well, amen, I hate beets. I don't go out of my way to get beets. I don't know how a person can be saved and like beets. How many like beets? Oh. Yeah, I got some unsaved. Well, amen. Different strokes for different folks. Amen. If you, you put beets on my plate, I'll... Boy, somebody's going to invite me for dinner and they're going to, put, they're going to load me down. Those purple things, I just... I'm just kidding. All I'm telling you is, you got to hear some things. Amen? I end this thing. I close this thing off. Here, look at For consider him that endured such contradiction. Your life just has to be contrary sometimes. Contrary to the way your flesh wants to go. Amen. Flesh just wants to talk. The flesh just wants to prop up its feet and relax. You just got to do, you got to go contrary. Who endured such contradictions of sinners against themselves, lest ye, put a ring on those, that's the warning, that's the caution, that's what he's warning you against, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Verse 4, you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. That is, you haven't shed any blood yet. Living for Jesus. It hasn't cost you any blood yet. Amen. The implication is, you have not yet resisted unto blood. The implication is, He did. Jesus did. And He has set the example for us. The contradiction of sinners against Himself. He did. Therefore, we ought to be willing to do it. We need to consider Him and weigh our sufferings and our puny little difficulties against all the sufferings that Jesus endured at the contradiction of sinners. And let's see how they weigh up. And, don't, and, and you check it out and say, if Jesus did, and, and uh, this, is, this is my, my, my uh, problems compared to what He endured for me that I could go to heaven, then He isn't asking too much for me to read my Bible, go to church. I'm not going to be weary and faint in my mind. Amen, amen, and amen. That's the Bible. I can, I don't know, but Brother Ruckman might have something there about Hebrews 12, 3 being the greatest verse in the Bible. If it's not the greatest verse, it certainly is a great verse. Let's bow in prayer.